Good morning. It is great to see folks this morning. I need, we need to take care of um, a little bit of business here, okay? Number one, um, on your uh, chairs, um, the, there's the attendance sheet and there's also the, the offering envelope. I just remind you that um, since we don't pass the offering plate, that, uh, but we still would like you to fill that information out and drop it in the offering plates that are on the table in the back as you leave. So don't forget to do that. Uh, for those of you who are at home or worshiping online, um, please, um, please say hello, click like, just let us know that you're present. Um, if you're listening on the radio, shout real loud right now. Oh, wait, that'll be an hour from now, right? Um, and, and I'll be listening to hear what voices I hear. Um, the other piece of business we need to take care of is, does anybody remember your homework from last week? W what? Oh, that was a couple weeks ago. This week, you were supposed to find out where the first place or where the places were that God got angry, right? Some of you have already come up to me because I guess I chastised folks about not doing their homework. Some folks have already come up to me and said, I did it. I did it. Um, so where does God, where's the first place God gets angry? Exodus, Exodus where? Third chapter or fourth. Anybody know? Exodus chapter 4, God gets angry at Moses, um, and, and, and basically he doesn't, I mean, he gets mad at Moses because Moses um, keeps giving him excuses as to why he can't go to deliver the people, um, but he doesn't do anything to Moses other than say, well, then I'm going to send Aaron to go with you. Um, we also find, now see, most folks, if they think about it, and I tell you, it's in Exodus, you recall that God kind of gets really upset at the mountain and the golden calf? Yeah. Um, so that's another place where God gets angry. Actually, um, there's two other places. I, I only found three the first time, but I, I found four um, in chapter 22. Um, God also gets mad. And in chapter 15, when Marion's doing the song, she talks about God's anger against Pharaoh. So, so there you go. Those are the four places in, in Exodus and, and the first time that God gets angry. And it's not where? What book does God not get angry in? Genesis. Genesis, right? Genesis. Okay. Um, I guess enough for your homework. But, uh, but just remember, if I give you homework, I'm going to ask. Okay? Um, so, so keep that in mind. For those who are online, I should have given you a chance. I'm sure everybody who worships online did your homework, right? And you all knew that. You've been posting out there uh, where it was, and we could have just looked at your text messages um, or your responses, and we would have gotten all the right answers, right? Okay, maybe not. Anyway, let's, uh, let's um, take this moment and this time to turn our attention toward our gracious and loving God. Let us prepare our hearts and our minds that we might experience, that we might come anticipating to experience the presence of God with us as we gather uh, both in person and online this day. May we come in expectation that the Spirit will speak to us in the very depths of our being reminding us of God's love for us, continuing to shape and form us so that we might be the people God intended us to be. 
of people who live and love like Jesus and make a difference in the lives of people in our community and throughout the world. Uh, Let us stand and and, um, celebrate Christ's presence among us this morning as we sing God of all my days. God, you 
Y'all may be seated. Since this is a communion Sunday, often uh, at this part of worship, I, um, I like for us to do a, uh, a prayer of confession. And so um, I'm going to invite us to join our voices together in these words. Uh, this is a, com- a prayer of confession that um, actually um, I wrote four or five years ago for a Boy Scout Sunday, but um, I just enjoy uh, the, this particular prayer of confession, and so I invite um, you to join with me in these words as we, as we come to God, asking God to forgive us for these times we have failed to be his people this week, and asking and being reminded that God will send his spirit to um, enable us uh, to do better in the week to come. So let us join our voices together. Gracious God, Forgive us, Lord, for the times this week when we have failed to be trustworthy and loyal followers of Jesus and his ways. Forgive us for the times we saw a need and chose to pass up an opportunity to be helpful. Forgive us for excluding and ignoring other people rather than taking time to engage others in a friendly conversation or simply with a friendly smile. Forgive us for treating others rudely, harshly, and even with contempt when we know that you call us to be courteous and kind, not just to our friends, but also to strangers and adversaries. Forgive us for the times you chose for the times we chose to follow our selfish desires and agendas rather than being obedient to God's word and spirit. Forgive us for adopting a doom and gloom attitude instead of cultivating a spirit that is thankful and cheerful. Forgive us for being wasteful and reckless with the earth's resources rather than being thrifty in managing these resources so that future generations might enjoy their beauty and benefits. Forgive us for lacking the courage to speak up for the powerless and the marginalized Empower us to be brave in working for justice and forgive us for polluting our hearts and minds with hate and fearfulness rather than allowing the spirit to create in us a clean and reverent heart that overflows with love of God and love of others. And we ask all of this in Christ's name and pour out your spirit upon us in this day, Lord. Uh, that by your Holy Spirit, we might continue to be shaped and formed and transformed so that we might go forth to be the people you intended us to be this day and throughout this week. In Christ's name, amen. And now let us join our voices as we sing holy, holy, holy.
Holy God, our creator. Holy God, our redeemer. Holy God, our sanctifier. We come to you with all of our hearts. We open to you with all of our lives. We allow you to come in and shape and mold with all of who we are. We just come before you and ask that you guide and direct us, work in us, back into your wonderful love and grace that we may be your love and grace in the world around us. Amen. Well, we're going to continue our uh, series in Genesis this week, and um, we'll um, take a couple, we'll do this week and then a couple more weeks as we uh, continue to look at the first uh, 11 chapters of Genesis um, and uh, just hear these stories. I, I, I think these are very, very important stories for us to hear um, and, and to think about and to actually hear in the context in which they are written. I think so many times that... Um, our, our faith is shaped by how we hear these initial stories about God. And, and even like we talked about last week, I am just amazed um, at, at um, how when folks are asked about the story of the flood, they remember God getting mad, even though that is not what is in Scripture. Uh, it just reminds me how we have allowed these visions that we have of God to shape even how we read Scripture um, and doesn't allow us to see who God reveals himself to be in Scripture. And so I just challenge us to continue uh, as we listen to these ancient stories and hear them afresh and anew uh, to allow them to continue to shape us and to, to form us. You may remember last week as we began to look at the, take a closer look at Genesis chapters 6 through 9 and this uh, story of the flood that... Um, that is one of the things that we, we highlighted was that God grieved and instead of getting mad. And we, we, uh, we said that God looked, he, he looked down at the world and he saw the violence and the destruction that was running rampant on the earth. Uh, he looked at this creation that he had intended to be full of life and love and, and to flourish and instead he saw a world that was full of violence and destruction and hatred, a world uh, that was headed 180 degrees from how God had intended uh, this creation to be. Instead of moving toward harmony, it was moving away and toward a selfishness and toward this hatred and this destruction. And, and, and God's heart was broken. God grieved. As he realized that this creation, uh, he looked and he saw where this creation was headed and he saw that it was unwilling to respond to his grace uh, despite all the times uh, that God had reached out when humans had uh, decided to trust themselves or somebody else and, and God had done things to, um, to continue to show his love and his concern for them. And it's as if God looked down on creation and he decided to allow creation to experience the consequences and the full force of their poor 
choices, of their failures to make good decisions about what was good and what was evil. And so God stopped holding back the waters of chaos and instead allowed them to bubble up and to come down and to begin to cover the earth. And we're told in this, in, in chapter 6 and 9 of Genesis, in the midst of this pain and regret, God sees Noah. And in fact, in, in chapter uh, 6 of Genesis, we read uh, these words as God looks down and he sees Noah. And God said to Noah, The end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them with the earth, and so make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places and cover it with the inside. And I started reading at the wrong place, Dustin. Let's start at verse 9. Can I try this again? These are, descendants of Noah. These are Noah's descendants. In his generation, Noah was moral and exemplary man. He walked with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jephthah. In God's sight, the earth had become corrupt and filled with violence, and God saw that the earth was corrupt because all creatures behaved corruptly. And so God said to Moses, The end has come for all creatures since they have filled the earth with violence. I am now about to destroy them along with the earth. So make a wooden ark. Make the ark with nesting places and cover it inside and out. This is how you should make it. Uh, 400 feet long, 70 feet wide, 75 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and complete it and, and complete it one foot from the top. Put a door in its side. In the, in the hold below, make the second and third decks. I am now bringing the floodwaters over the earth to destroy everything under the sky that breathes, everything on the earth is about to take its last, last breath. But I will set up my covenant with you. You will go into the ark together with your sons and your wife and your sons' wives. We, we hear these words in Genesis chapter 6, and we see that God has looked down and he sees Noah, and God has determined that he will uh, save Noah. He will exempt Noah from uh, this flood that he is about to bring because of all the violence and because of where the earth and where humanity is heading. And I find it interesting um, as we read the passage, it says God commands or God instructs. Um, as I read this passage, what's really happening, it seems to me, is that God invites Noah to trust him. God invites Noah to trust him. Uh, he tells him what is about to happen, and then he says, but I have decided uh, to spare you. Because apparently as God looked at the earth and, and he grieved about where everybody was headed, it looked at least he looked at Noah and he said, in, in this generation, in his generation, Noah was righteous and a good example now, I'm not sure what it means to say that Noah was a good example in the generation in which he lived. The bar was not very high. Uh, but God looked at Noah and he saw in Noah this person who might respond to his grace and his initiative. And so God invites Noah to build this ark. To build an ark uh, so that God might start over with Noah and with a cross-section of the animals from the earth. And we're told that Noah, here's, here's God. 
Remember in the story of Cain, God goes to Cain, right? He warns Cain to let loose of his anger um, and and his frustration. um, and, And Cain refuses to listen to God, instead goes forward to kill his brother. Here in this story, we see that Noah hears God. And we're told that, God, that, that Noah does as God instructs him to do. He builds an ark. He, he opens the doors and God sends the animals. And then God shuts the door of the ark. And, and Noah begins to see uh, waters coming down from the sky and bubbling up from the earth. And he begins to see the waters begin to cover the earth. And he watches for 40 days as the waters uh, come down and swell up and the boat begins to float for 40 days. And then for another 150 days, uh, this ark floats atop of the water while the rest of the earth is covered and is cleansed of its violence and its evil. And in the beginning of chapter 8, we, uh, we hear these words from the author. It says, God remembered Noah. Now, it's not as if God forgot about Noah. Uh, but I think that what, what's happening here is that in the midst of his grief and his pain, as he's witnessing the destruction uh, of the world, and, uh, and God is, is looking and seeing the, uh, what humanity had become. I think at this point, God turns his attention from the past. He turns his attention from uh, those who would not respond to his grace, those who continued to perpetrate violence against one another, and he turns his attention to those who are alive. To the remnant that is on the ark, uh, this remnant of people and animals with whom he will start over. He turns his attention to them and he sends a wind and it begins to blow and the waters begin to recede and so for 40 days now the waters begin to the water level begins to drop and the ark comes to rest on land and we're told it sits there for another 150 days. While Noah and, and the folks in the ark, they, they wait. They wait for signs uh, that they might disembark. And finally, they get that sign, and God tells them to go forth from the ark and to be fruitful and to multiply. The same words that God used with Adam and Eve in the garden, He says, be fruitful and multiply. God is ready to start over with Noah and with this remnant that is in the ark. And yet, as we continue to read the story, we realize that this new beginning, this this restart, so to speak, it is not a new Eden. 
just in case there's any misconceptions, uh, because we have been told that, that Noah is an example and a moral individual, just in case there's any misconceptions that, that Noah is this perfect and good man with whom God will start over with a clean slate, uh, God acknowledges in uh, verse uh, 21 or 22 of chapter 8, He acknowledges that He understands that, that Noah and his family... They have not been transformed. They are in many ways like the people who have been destroyed. They have been influenced by by years of violence. They have been shaped and formed uh, because of uh, poor choices that they have made and others have made. The story makes it clear that God does not have any misconceptions uh, that this starting over is with two perfect individuals. But God knows that that with which He is restarting are a people who are flawed and imperfect and broken. A people who still have the freedom to determine good and evil. A people who will still make poor choices when given choices about what is good and evil. A people who will continue to make choices that are selfish, choosing to trust themselves rather than God at times. A people who will continue to choose to participate in hate and violence. And so God is not starting over with this clean slate of people. He understands. He understands that the people uh, that this new beginning uh, is coming to are a people who are flawed and imperfect and marred by years of sin and evil and violence and destruction. And so we might expect, especially if we are under the impression that God is angry, we might expect uh, that, that when uh, Noah disembarks, we might expect God to say to Noah, okay, buddy, you saw what I did to all these people who did bad and wrong. You better straighten up and fly right or the same thing's going to happen to you. That's what an angry and mad God would say, isn't it? That's what we would say often, isn't it? But God doesn't say that to Noah. In fact, in this passage passage that we read in in, uh, chapter 8, I'm going to invite you to hear this passage that begins in 8.20 and goes to um, Genesis 9.17. Hear God's response and what it is that God wants to communicate to Noah as he starts over with this family. We're told that Noah built an altar to the Lord. He took some of the clean animals and some of the clean birds. He placed them in, placed entirely burned offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled the pleasing scent. And the Lord thought to himself, I will not curse the fertile land anymore because, human beings, since the, since, because of human beings, since the ideas of the human mind are evil from their youth. In in other words, what we see here, remember, when was the ground cursed? When Adam and Eve ate of the apple, God told them this is what they... uh, God is saying that He's going to undo that curse. And He says, never again. 
Never again will I destroy every living thing as I have done. As long as the earth exists, seed time and harvest, cold and hot, summer and autumn, day and night will not cease. God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fertile, multiply, fill the earth. All of the animals on the earth will fear you and dread you, all of the birds of the sky, everything crawling in the ground, and all the sea's fish. They are in your power. They're under your dominion. Everything that lives and moves will be your food. Just as I gave you the green grasses, I now give you everything. However, you must not eat meat with its life, its blood in it. I will surely demand your blood for a human life. For every living thing, I will demand it. From humans, from a man for his brother, I will demand something for a human life. Whoever sheds human blood, by human, by human his blood will be shed. And it, for in the divine image of God, may, humans were made. As for you, be fertile and multiply. Populate the earth and multiply it. God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I am now setting up my covenant, my promise with you and with your descendants and with every living being with you, with the birds and with the large animals and with the animals of the earth, leaving the ark with you. I will set up my covenant with you so that never again will all life be cut off by floodwaters. There will never again be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the symbol of the covenant that I am drawing up between me and you and every living thing with you on behalf of every future generation. I have placed a bow in the clouds. It will be a symbol of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow appears in the clouds, I will remember the covenant between me and you and every being. The bow will be in the clouds, and upon seeing it, I will remember the enduring covenant between God and every living being of all the earth's creatures. Never again will I destroy all creatures. God said to Noah, this is the symbol of the covenant that I have set up between you and me and all creatures of the earth. Do you hear God's graciousness again in that story? He begins by saying, never again will this happen. In some places, they debate whether God means never again will the earth be destroyed by floods or, or whether he means just never again will God decide to destroy all of creation in this way because of humans' poor choices and their sinfulness. But when Noah comes off the ark, he doesn't say straighten up and fly right or the same thing was happened to you. Instead, he says never again will this happen. I mean, can you imagine being Noah? Uh, and every time it started to rain, can you imagine being afraid that maybe it was going to happen again and God hadn't told them this time to build an ark and they would be the ones who were wiped away? God does not want the humans that he restarts with, he does not want them to be afraid of him. He does not want to wor them to worry that he is a God that, that just seeks to bring condemnation and destruction to people who fail to live in his ways. He wants them to be assured that never again will this happen. He wants them uh, to trust him, not to be afraid of him. And so he tells them that the curse will be removed. He tells them that the, that the seasons, the sun will rise and set every day. There will be planting and harvest season. There will be seasons of the earth. The earth, the world will act in a way that is consistent 
a way that will support the flourishing of human beings. If only humans will participate in living in such a way to do the same. God says, never again. And yet at the same time, uh, God, um, realizing that, that one of the issues apparently uh, is that when people have experienced the grace of God, when Cain experienced the grace of God after killing Abel, and God said uh, that he would not allow others to kill Cain, uh, that in receiving that graciousness, we as humans just continued uh, to take advantage of God's grace rather than responding to it to change us. And so God also says, but from now on, if a human being is killed, humans will take the life of the one who has killed a human being. In other words, God is going to allow humans to create this, this justice system that, that keeps in check the evil and the violence that we will tend to perpetrate. And yet, he says, never again. God wants to ensure that Noah and his descendants do not live in fear of being afraid of God, of thinking that God might strike them with a lightning bolt at any time. And so we should not be surprised if we read this story and if we read all of Scripture, we should not be surprised when we read the stories of Jesus. See, the story from Genesis to Revelation is the consistent story, which too many times uh, we take and we twist um, in ways that are not biblical. We depict God as being angry and mad and just, um, just hardly being able to be held back from, from um, hitting people with a lightning bolt if they do something wrong. But if we read these stories in the Old Testament, we are not surprised when Jesus comes and he says, I did not come to condemn but I came to save. God is not a God who, uh, who, who relishes in destruction and death. God is a God who relishes in offering life and, and creating a space for humans to flourish. And so Jesus comes and says, I did not come to condemn, but I came to save the world. And yet, in that same passage, Jesus tells us what the problem is. The problem is that despite God continuing to come to humans to save them and to invite them to trust Him, inviting them to walk in the light of Christ and, the, and in the light of God's ways, we keep choosing to walk in the darkness. We keep choosing to trust ourselves or to trust something else in creation rather than choosing to walk in the light of Christ and in His, His, His love and His compassion. We choose to walk with hatred 
and violence in our hearts. Rather than hearing the words of God and trusting Him, we choose to trust something else. Hear this story of the flood. Hear this story in light of Christ. It is a God who comes to save and to start over. A God who invites humans to trust Him. Not a God who says, obey me or else, but a God who says, trust me and live as I call you to live. And you will be saved. You will be rescued. You will be brought out of the darkness into the light. And along with you will come others. Do you hear God's invitation today? I invite the choir to come forward. Do you hear God's invitation today? Can we stand on the promises of God this day? Promises that say, I intend the best for you. Trust me. Do life with me. Give up our hateful and violent ways and embrace the loving ways and gracious ways of God. And we will be saved. We will be brought into the light of Christ and out of the darkness. And we will be able to be a light and a beacon for others. I invite you to stand as we sing, standing on the promises of God.
Amen. You may be seated. For those who are listening on the radio um, and, and maybe at home, I invite you to go forth this day standing on the promise of God, trusting that God has come to save, not condemn, uh, that God just invites us to trust him, to walk in his light, to come out of the darkness. And so I invite you to go forth this day with that assurance and that promise.